Good afternoon to the monde. It's a beautiful windy day. I love the wind. This, uh, this retreat <coughs> talks about presence. living from presence and we've been talking, pointing to what what is presence bringing some reflection to that the word presence connotes <coughs> non-conceptual awareness so this is this is a natural quality of mind it's not something that we have to learn or, or get. It's, it's, it's uh, the natural state of mind. And we see it in children. We see children just uh, without words. I have a granddaughter now. She's going to be two in August. And uh, just watching her is it's a meditation in itself. It's a delight. Uh, she is she's looking at things she's touching things she's investigating in many many ways and uh, and she's not putting words to it I mean she's learning words and maybe she is putting words to some things together with some things but a lot just most of her attention is non-conceptual it's just really present it's not a self-aware presence, perhaps, um, or she may not be aware that she's aware. She's, but she is in that quality. She has that quality of non-conceptual awareness. And so, you know, I see her becoming aware of. You know the the different characteristics and quality of things. How some things are heavy, some are light. Some things move, some things don't. Some things come apart. Maybe they're not supposed to, but they do anyway. <laughs> and uh, and so um, gradually, uh, she she is and she will connect these experiences, sensory experiences, so seeing things, objects, touching, tasting, and so on, she'll connect those with words, and those words will become thoughts. And those thoughts will become ideas and whole frameworks of ideas. So... And that's that's wonderful. It's very useful uh, to to have language. It's um, it's something that is a human capacity, which enables us to to highlight something, to take something and highlight it, bring our attention to it, and um, so to highlight it and in a way take it out of the whole context in which it exists in order to 
learn about it or reflect on it. So, for example, you know, if I talk about a human being, you know, so so I say some things about a human being, or even just say the word human being, then immediately, you know, I'm you 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 think or you uh, think or make the assumption perhaps that I'm not talking about a dog I'm talking about a human being but actually human beings and dogs have a lot in common they're mammals they're they have the same senses, very similar in their, um, in the way that they, you know, more similar than a tree in the way that they live and uh, reproduce and so, so on. And so there's a lot in common. Their, their, their histories are very intertwined, human beings and dogs. Um, but, you know, if I say human being, then the assumption is I'm not talking about a dog. So we're taking a human being out of the context in which it's related to dogs. We're taking a human being out of the context in which it is related to oceans. And yet we know that human beings are very related to oceans. Uh, our body is water. The Life emerged from the oceans, um, and when we've we've developed the capacity, mammals have developed the capacity to to in, in a way carry the ocean in their bodies when they uh, when women are carrying a baby. It's that ambient fluid is is really uh, a way to. Re-enact or uh, replicate the whole development of life from the time that it emerged from the oceans, and it, it happens in a way within a woman's body. So, what human beings are very connected to oceans, as I mentioned last night. Human beings are connected to stars. You know, we carry within our bodies the stardust. We the heavy metals of that are can only be made in stars. But when we say human being, we don't think of stars. So that's just a whole, you know, that's just a few examples of the way that a human being or anything is connected to the whole web of life. And so words do that. They divide. Uh, anything from its whole context divide they divide from experience too so you know, Bill talked about perception perception is very connected to words so we have the word sweet and then there is the experience of taking you know, a little bit of sugar and putting it on your tongue. So when we are 
experiencing life primarily through words, we may become disconnected from the experience and our our life becomes filtered through thoughts and words. And we're, we're not really so... Uh, so or really in touch with the felt known sensory experience of sweet or anything else so it so words divide from the whole context the whole matrix of life they keep us on the surface of things so we we're not kind of really diving into what that experience is. They're also static. You know, a word, you know, if I say human being, you know, we think we have an image of a human being. Maybe our image, you know, each one of us will have a different image. Maybe we have an image of a man or a woman or, you know, somebody with dark skin or somebody with light skin or or curly hair or straight hair, uh, you know, so each one of us will have a different image of a human being. And, um, and maybe they're young or old. Human beings are in constant flux. So, so a human being, you know, even, even from morning till evening, or we could even say perhaps from hour to hour, a human being is a process. Perhaps we could even say moment to moment. A human being is a process. It's not a static thing. But words make things static. And also solid. You know, we feel that you know things are solid, whereas human beings and everything else is is actually quite insubstantial. You know, we know from science that really the reason why we're not dropping through the floor is that you know that it's it's actually electro electro uh, electric charges uh, the not positive and the negative forces uh, create a sense of solidity, but actually it's all just you know atoms and molecules and electrons. You know, buzzing around the the nuclei of the of the atoms and so on, and uh, and so these it's what, what what appears to be solid is not solid at all. It's all just really energy. Uh, we know that conceptually, and and as we meditate, we can experience it directly in in our bodies, really. Experiencing that our bodies are are very uh, in flux, and um, the energy is just changing moment to moment. We, as we as we deepen in meditation, we uh, we begin to recognize that the body is not what we think it is. It's, it's not this thing. It's something very dynamic. So. So again, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, minimizing the importance of language, and certainly, you know, even though this is a silent retreat, 
there's a lot of language being used here to provide some constructs, some, some mental constructs to help us to understand our meditation practice, our Dharma practice. And um, you know, there, there's a, an expression that you, know, you use a thorn to remove the thorn and then you throw them both away. So we use words to deconstruct our beliefs and our perceptions about reality and then we don't hold on to, you know, we're not trying to create a new belief system here. It's just, um, I like to say that um, the Dharma reconditions the mind to decondition the mind. So it's a, it's a learning that we take in. Another image I like is medicine. You know, you, you take medicine and, and you know, your, your, your illness gets cured and then you don't, you don't keep on taking the medicine for the rest of your life. So you take the medicine as long as it's useful and you apply it properly. So it's, it's not, we're not trying to create a new belief system but uh, the Buddha really emphasized the practicality of, uh, of his teaching. You know, he, he wanted people to do it, not to just, you know, uh, adopt it as, as a new religion. So... Um, So we've been talking a lot about, you know, quieting the mind, letting the mind come to quiet. So not by pushing away thoughts. You know, so at first in samatha practice, we're we're relinquishing our grasping onto thoughts, and we're coming to a neutral object, which is the breath. So, so the we're letting go of thoughts and coming to the breath. The breath is a good object because it's neutral. We don't get, you know, clingy about the breath. We don't usually uh, find that it's unpleasant, although it can be if you have asthma or some other illness. But um, so, so the mind becomes stable, present, and then with mindfulness, uh, in insight meditation, we begin to investigate the nature of experience. Uh, we see its impermanent nature. We see we see its uh, the thoughts and emotions and sensations and intentions arise selflessly. And so, uh, and and we see we see also that you know. It's by clinging to these impermanent experiences or trying to resist them, get rid of them, that we create stress and suffering. And so by these insights arising, the mind stops clinging to the stories. Gradually, the mind stops clinging to the stories about ourselves, the, you know, these perceptions, beliefs, the mind gets a little more quiet 
And we, we begin to experience in meditation uh, a sense of the space between thoughts. The space between thoughts. So the thought is quiet, the thought becomes quiet, and there's an awareness that's not taking in our experience through ideas and words. There's a just kind of an open, silent presence. And that's something that grows in a very natural way as the mind stops clinging to and believing in and you know stirring up we stir up the thoughts by you know just we put energy into thinking them when we take our energy back and just keep it in the body let the let the attention the energy be in the body then we stop turning the wheel of the endless stories and the mind becomes more quiet and so we develop this awareness of um, of the flow of experience that that life is flowing within us through us <clears throat> and so um, yeah, I meant to I meant to say uh, one one point I meant to say is um, that one of the th- reasons why we hold on to our thoughts uh, and we don't want to let go of our stories is because we don't know who we would be without them. We don't we wonder, you know, will I exist without my story? You know, who will I be without my story? You know, whatever the story is, and we all have many, I'm sure, whether it's a story of being a success or a story of being a failure, a story of being desirable or a story of being unwanted, um, a story of being smart or a story of being stupid. You know, and and we can go from one to another. Oh, I'm so smart. Oh, I'm stupid. You know, it can be just moments that we go from one story to another. And uh, and so, you know, and this these stories reinforce the clinging to self, clinging to a sense of I, I am this, I am that. And so, and so, it's really important to recognize when the mind becomes more quiet that we're not annihilated. There's still aliveness. There's still awareness. And it's this quality of presence. It's this quality of being, life, life moving through us. And so, so we, we are aware of this flow of experience. And, and so there's consciousness of hearing, consciousness of seeing, consciousness of 
touch, sensation, consciousness of thinking. And there's an awareness of the consciousness of hearing. So, so the consciousness of hearing is coming and going. So, so there's a bird song. And then the moment of consciousness of hearing and knowing that bird song is, is, is gone. There's a, a continuity of awareness which we remain with. And this, this presence is always here. This presence is always here. This presence is always now. You've never actually been apart from it, but we get so caught up in clinging to our sensory experiences that we feel disconnected. We're, we're not aware of this presence. And so as we, as we move from the constructed uh, story-bound, belief-bound way of being alive, living our lives, to a, a presence with, a presence in our lives, This is sometimes called a descent from the head to the heart. In, in, uh, in mystical Christian teaching, they talk about that. It's um, part of my background, and, and I think it's talked about in that way in other traditions as well. That, we, that there's a descent from the head, living from the head, living from beliefs, to living from the heart. And um, and the heart, the heart is an openness. Uh, the heart is a, a, a kind of uh, intuitive presence, an intuitive awareness, in which we can we can actually understand that we're not separate. You know, there's a belief that, you know, you're you and I'm me and um, and and you know, we're totally different. Um, There's a, there's a poem I just thought of that I was going to use for something else. I wonder if I have it. I might not have it. 
<clears throat> there is a poem I have that I was going to use. Uh, so this presence, this quality of of being, being present in in this intimate connection with all of life, which I was talking about last night. Um, a, a, a sense of knowingly the wholeness, knowing that we are part of the wholeness, that we're not separate. This, um, Rumi talked about this, um, using the word presence, or that's the translation that Coleman Barks used for his translation. Uh, this we have now. This we have now is not imagination. This is not grief or joy, not a judging state or an elation or sadness. Those come and go. This is the presence that doesn't. It's dawn, Hussam, here in the splendor of coral, inside the friend, the simple truth of what Halaj said. What else could human beings want? When grapes turn to wine, they're wanting this. When the night sky pours by, it's really a crowd of beggars and they all want some of this. This that we are now created the body, cell by cell, like bees building a honeycomb. The human body and the universe grew from this, not this from the universe and of the human body. So this presence, what Rumi refers to as presence, is also pointing to as the unborn, as the deathless. And so these are just words that point to a reality, a reality that we are, a reality that we can realize. We already are that, and we can realize that. So this descent to the heart, we recognize that we're not separate. It's not, and yet, and yet it's not the same. So we're not separate, but we're not the same. It's like the sky and clouds. We can distinguish between sky and clouds, and yet clouds arise from the elements of sky and move, and move back into it. So thoughts, thoughts arise from the emptiness of the mind. And so it's not that thoughts somehow intrude upon the mind, but thoughts arise from emptiness. And when I say, maybe it's confusing to use the word mind because 
usually we're referring to conceptual mind. So I could say thoughts arise from emptiness and they return to emptiness. And so, so we don't need to feel that thoughts are intruding on us, nor do we need to grasp them, nor do we need to believe them. How many times have we believed what we thought and then realized that you know, it was totally an interpretation and a misinterpretation? Just because the mind thinks something, the mind thinks. Thoughts come from from different causes and conditions. When we when we realize the space in which thoughts are known is empty, there's there's a sense of ease and freedom in just letting thoughts arise and pass away. In this, in this spacious awareness, this openness, there's a sense of being, of there being room for everything. There's room for differences. There's room for different ways of experiencing, different ways of celebrating different ways of being. We don't feel that we need to make everything conform to how you know we expect or we prefer it to be. You know, we can really just be in that space of presence with. And and when we are with somebody who is who, who lives from that space, we feel that. We feel that openness. We feel that acceptance. We feel that, that you know, we're with somebody who's not trying to make, change us or fix us or make us conform to some idea of what uh, they think we should be. This, in this space, in the heart, this spacious heart of being, this presence of heart, we could say, uh, there's there's an awareness that that your pain is my pain, your joy is my joy. So that sense of connection, there's a, a quality of intimacy in that spaciousness of heart. And the, the nature of that space that I'm pointing to, that we all can realize, is love. And the word love is used to mean different things. So when I, when I use the word love, 
I'm not talking about the love like, you know, you might say, I love strawberries. You know, uh, that's a pleasant sensory experience. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just a certain kind of limited experience. And we even sometimes say, you know, I love that guy or I love that girl. She's so funny. She's so cute. She's so, he's so kind, uh, you know. And, and so that kind of love is also, uh, in a different way, loving someone because we feel good with them. We enjoy being with them. And that's part of our relationship, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what happens when something happens and this person is not so cute anymore, maybe not so funny, and maybe something happens in their life and they just can't be so caring as they used to be? You know, does our love for them diminish? Does it disappear? Do we, do we stop caring about them? So that's, that also is not the kind of love that I'm talking about, although that, that's part of our life. But the kind of love in that heart, that presence of heart, that open, spacious heart that we can learn to live from is a kind of love which is like the sun. You know, it shines on everything. It warms everything. It illuminates everything. And it's, it's very, it's a healing love. You know, it's, it's a welcoming love. You know, again, I asked a few minutes ago, have you ever been in the presence of someone who just exudes that kind of love. Maybe they weren't a saint. Maybe they were your third grade teacher or your grandmother. Uh, And not everybody has ever experienced that. But just to be with somebody who um, receives you, accepts, accepts us completely as we are, is such a welcoming healing experience it's, uh, it's great good fortune and so can we be that can we actually be that presence can we be that presence of love mm. you know we want that love we're all longing for that love Hafiz, uh, who is a, um, he was a 14th century Persian poet. Hafiz says, admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become 
the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. when we come from that place of of connection and we intentionally offer that quality of caring and love and compassion when we remember to to do that rather than always feeling like it's not enough I'm not enough I need more it is it actually is a great practice and it it can bring us to that place of connection can bring us to that place of knowing that we're not separate, that we're not this little self wanting to be recognized, wanting to be affirmed, wanting to be comfortable. Uh, We are truly part of all of life. So let's sit for a few minutes.
why not become the one who is always saying in that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.